Thank you, worship team. And as you're seated, go ahead and grab your Bible. We're going to be in the book of Galatians today. If you have your Bible, that's going to be in the New Testament, uh, kind of ter- towards the center back section. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisles. If you want one today to read, to follow along, if you want one to have, uh, we'd love to give you a Bible every Sunday. We're going to open it and learn from it. And take your sermon notes uh, as we get into our study today. Week four in a sermon series that we're calling Supernatural. And we have been since, uh, since, early, um, since early in the school year, since the last week of August, we've been studying the supernatural things of Scripture. And we're actually going to begin today, in just a moment, in Galatians chapter 5, um, we're going to get back to where we started. Because we began the series, really the week before the series, uh, I gave you this verse in Galatians 5, 16, 17, 18, Uh, walk in the spirit so you don't gratify the flesh. And we began to talk about four weeks ago, the spirit in the flesh. I have taken three weeks to kind of expound on the supernatural things of God. We taught week one on the Holy Spirit. We came back week two, if you weren't here, and we taught about, uh, basically, we asked the questions, who is the devil and what does he do? Where did he come from? And we looked at, basically, the theology of Satan and Scripture, what we know about evil, what we know about the devil. Last week, we looked at angels and the role that angels play in our lives. We asked the question, do we have guardian angels? Uh, Scripture seems to say in Matthew 18.10 that every child has a guardian angel. Uh, And we said that adults, whether or not we have one, we have many um, we have a host of angels. There, there's a number too large to count of angels that are interacting on uh, in our lives on God's behalf. But today and for the next three weeks, we really dig into... We've learned a lot about the supernatural um, theologically. We've learned how to pass a test on the Holy Spirit and Satan and angels. Today we begin asking this question, how does it apply to my life? Like what exactly do I need to learn about the supernatural things so that I can be a better Christian. That's what I want to teach you about today. And we find ourselves in the book of Galatians. Now, let me give you some background information on the book of Galatians so you can understand why this verse is so important and why this message is so important. The book of Galatians, if you look on your sermon notes, was actually written to four churches in a region called Galatia that the apostle Paul had started. In Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 14, going through Acts 14 through verse 23, we read that Paul visited the towns of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, and he started churches in each of those towns. He was subsequently driven from those towns by people who hated Christianity, hated the message of Jesus. But in all four of those towns, he started churches. And after he, he was stoned in one of those cities and left for dead, they drug him outside the city, they thought he was dead. He would later write to the church of Corinth that he thought maybe he actually died. God took him to heaven, showed him things that he couldn't even talk about. But then God restored his life to him so that he can continue doing ministry. That was all in the region of Galatia. Um, So we know that Paul wrote this letter to be given to all four churches in that region. Galatia, the the name actually comes from the Gauls um, or the Gaelic or Celtic tribes, the Germanic tribes that the Greeks could never fully defeat. The Roman Empire could never fully defeat, so they kind of let them just live in their little place. So the word Galatian came from the people group that lived there in Asia Minor. Um, Galatians is the first New Testament book that the Apostle Paul wrote. So if you want to see, you know, what, what, would, what would Paul's very first sermon look like? Well, his very first book of the Bible was Galatians that he penned to a church. It's known in theology as the Magna Carta of Christianity. Why is that? Because it talks a lot about freedom from oppression. Uh, an oppressive regime, kind of like the Magna Carta did in establishing the United States of America, and because it was r- one of the very first official documents of the New Testament church. And it was written to address two topics, and this is, this is why this message is going to be so important for us today. Uh, it was written to address that salvation is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone and in no one else. So it was written to know that salvation was found in Jesus, but then sanctification, and I'm going to define that word for you, um, came by the Holy Spirit. So this is what the book of Galatians is about. Paul wants us to know in the book of Galatians that salvation is found in Jesus, sanctification comes by the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if you were wise, if you wanted to learn, and if you haven't grown up in church your entire life, you would say, well, what is sanctification? I understand salvation. What is sanctification? Let me give you some definitions. Some, so a theological definition, then kind of a plain and simple one. Sanctification is the process of being made holy, being made more like God, becoming set apart to God, or living completely for God. That last part of that definition you should probably underline because, I mean, like, that's, 
That's it in a nugget. Galatians teaches us how to become a Christian by placing our faith in Jesus and then how to live completely for God by learning how to walk with Jesus. The plain and simple definition of sanctification, what I would call a practical definition, not a theological definition, is this. Uh, sanctification is, is how to faithfully live for God and grow spiritually. If you and I were to be honest, most of us, our entire church experience is about sanctification. We do not come to church every Sunday hoping that we'll be saved. We come to church every Sunday hoping we can learn how to live for God and be closer to Jesus. Most of us have attended vacation Bible schools and church camps and Fellowship of Christian Athlete camps. Um, and as parents, we put our kids in Christian schools and some of us send them to Christian universities for the process of sanctification. We, we just want to learn more about Jesus and we, we want to learn how to walk with Jesus and be closer to God. Most of our Christian life is spent pursuing sanctification. How, how do I be closer to Jesus? Um, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul said, listen, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. So this isn't just a, a Paul thing. This isn't just a, a Christian Newsome thing. Paul says God's will is for you every day to learn how to live for Jesus and to be close to God. Like once you become a Christian, that's God's will for your life. Learn how to live for Jesus and be close to God. But the early church, the churches in Galatians had messed this up. And I believe that the late church, which would be us in 2013... Um, I believe that from the church in Galatians, we think this letter was written in maybe A.D. 52, if you can imagine that. Jesus hadn't even been dead 25 years yet, and the church had already gotten off track. And here we are now almost 2,000 years later, and here was the problem that had crept up in the Galatian church. The people had crept into the church. Paul was saying, listen, you get saved by placing your faith in Jesus, and you grow spiritually by learning how to walk with Jesus. And people in the church were saying, no, 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 no. Here's how it works. Um, the problem, the corrupt spiritual formula that had gotten into the Galatian church after Paul had started it was this. The salvation is in Jesus, yes. But then sanctification comes by following religious rules and participating in religious ceremonies. Yes, you, you, give, your, you give your soul, you give your heart to Jesus, but then you just go to church and that's how you live for God. You get saved and you go to church and that's how you live for God. And Paul said, just 25 years, less than 25 years into the history of the church, Paul said, listen, Christianity is not just becoming a Christian and going to church. And as a matter of fact, if, if, if you think all Christianity is, is becoming a Christian and going to church, Paul said, like, that's not even the real gospel of who Jesus is. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Galatians chapter 1, because our key verse is going to be Galatians chapter 5, but I want you to see how he begins this book in Galatians chapter 5, or Galatians chapter 1, because he basically says, y'all are messed up. You are not following what I told you. I did not tell you to trust Jesus as your Savior and then just go to church. Here's what he said in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the rest of the book goes on to say this. I told you you have to give your heart to Jesus and then learn to walk with him every day of your life so you could grow spiritually. This group has told you you have to give your heart to Jesus and then just go to church. And he said, that's a perversion of Christianity. That's a corruption of Christianity. Christianity is not give your heart to Jesus and just go to church. That, that, that's not real Christianity. And Paul spends the rest of the book telling us real Christianity is learning every day to try to live your life for Jesus and try to stay close to God. The culmination of that lesson is in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, in a Bible study that I have titled this morning, Walking in the Spirit. Paul takes an entire book to say Christianity is living every day with God, from God, for God, and, and he said, the bottom line, here is Christianity. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. So I say, you've got to walk by the Spirit so you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and they're in conflict with each other so that you don't do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What do we learn from the Apostle Paul? from this church in Galatians about walking in the Spirit, about needing to have more spiritually than becoming a Christian and going to church. What's, what's more important than just becoming a Christian and going to church? Paul said you've got to learn to live every day of your life walking by the Spirit. And here's what we find out in Galatians chapter 5. Number one, that is a command. 
That's not a suggestion. That's not for people who want to feel good spiritually. That's not for people who uh, want to be in the, the upper tier of the class. Paul said, this is real Christianity for everyone who calls himself a Christian. It's commanded in Galatians 5.16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, you might underline that one further down in the text. Really good verse, Galatians 5.25, he says, since we live by the Spirit, Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul said, listen, if you call yourself a Christian, you need to understand walking in the Spirit is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not just for, like, pastors. It's not just for Sunday school teachers. Like, everyone who becomes a Christian has to learn that sanctification process. They have to learn how to get closer to God. And verse 25 gives us maybe the best picture because Paul says, if you're going to live by the Spirit, you have to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, have any of you ever ever participated in a three-legged race back in the day? Anyone here ever participated in three? Whether it's um, having your legs tied together or, or put in a sack together. What happens in a three-legged race when, when you've, you've got one leg and your partner has one and then they tie yours together? At some point, someone has to take the lead and the legs that are attached together have to go first. You can't really start with the outside legs. Someone on the count of three, has to step together and make sure that you're stepping at the exact same time. That's the thought of Galatians 5.25. Paul says, if you want to walk in the Spirit, you have to tie your life to the Holy Spirit, and then you have to say, okay, on you. One, two, three, you go first. And if you go this way, I'm going to go this way. And if you go this way, I'm going to go this way. And if you go this way, I'm going to go this way. And if you don't move, I'll move. I'm connected to you. On three, you go first. That's the thought of walking in the Spirit, that you are tied together to the Holy Spirit and you let it go first. You actually let it lead. Walking by the Spirit, when it comes to walking by the Spirit, we realize Christianity is all about Jesus. And that great hymn that some of us sang growing up, where he leads me, I will follow. It's the thought that I am tied to Jesus and and it's on him. One, two, three, go. Where you lead me, I will follow. So Jesus, when you say go, I'll go. And if you, and basically, I'm just going to let my leg go dead. That's, if you've ever been in a three-leg race with someone bigger and better, um, I had to do a three-leg race one time with someone much smaller than me, and my strategy was, listen, I'm just going to pick you up and run. So, you know, you just hang on to me. Probably the best spiritual strategy of a three-legged race is when the race starts, I'm just, I'm like, just going to climb on your back, and Jesus, wherever you lead me, I will follow. I trust you implicitly. I don't want to get disconnected from you. Some of us have fallen down spiritually because Jesus has stepped that way and we've stepped this way. And if you've ever been in a three-legged race, you kind of find yourself on the ground. Paul said you have to walk in the Spirit. And if you're going to live by the Spirit, you just kind of one step at a time, you have to walk with Him and let Jesus lead. And we find out in Scripture, walking with the Spirit is not, it's not just commanded, it's crucial to spiritual success. If you're going to live a life where you feel And I hate to use that word feel, but if you're going to live a life where you are close to Jesus, if you want to live a life where you just feel like every day that you're in step with God, you have to realize walking with the Spirit is the way to do that. Remember in John chapter 13, 14, and 15, Jesus said you need to understand the most crucial part of the next steps for you spiritually is to realize the Holy Spirit is coming and you have to let Him lead you. You have to learn to follow the Holy Spirit. You have to learn to walk by the Holy Spirit. You have to learn to feel him from the inside because Jesus said he'll be with you and he'll be in you. And he'll help you understand and figure the way, figure the process out. And Jesus said in John 16, 1, he said, I've told you this so you won't fall away. I've told you that you have to walk with the Holy Spirit. You have to realize he's with you and in you. I've told you that so you don't fall down. Because in a three-legged race, when someone goes right and the other person goes left, if you're really tied together, you're going to fall down. Jesus said, I'm telling you, not to go a different way than Jesus, but to follow him so that you don't fall away. In 1 Corinthians ten twelve, the apostle Paul said it this way, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So on every point of our Christian life, we need to ask ourselves, did we let Jesus go first? Did we follow Jesus in this step? That situation that happened this week and how I reacted, did I follow Jesus into that reaction or did I break away from the three-legged race and was I on my own? 
what I'm feeling right now in my spirit? Am I letting Jesus guide me emotionally or am I taking my emotions on my own? Am I trying to lead the dance right now or am I, am I just kind of holding hands with Jesus walking where he goes? John or Galatians 5.18 says, if you're led by the spirit, here's the picture. Have any of you ever taken your kids to an amusement park when they were under the age of seven? Any parents? The picture of being led by the spirit is a picture of a parent holding their young child's hand through busy traffic. That's the thought. Mom and dad know where they're going, and they're very cautiously keeping their children right next to them, and they're leading their child where they need to go. Often, like some of, sometimes my kids do and your kids do, often we break away from the Holy Spirit who's trying to hold our hand, and we try to run to get to the ride first, or we try to run to the cotton candy stand, or we try to run to the balloon guy we see making balloons. And Paul says, listen, just hold his hand, Connect your leg to his. You need to learn to walk at the pace of Jesus and in the direction of Jesus. So being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is commanded. Unfortunately, Paul also says it's conflicted, number two. Like it's not easy. So Paul says, I'm going to give you a command that's going to be, it's going to be pretty difficult to follow. And as a matter of fact, Paul would say, every day of your life trying to walk with the Spirit is going to have difficulty in it. Look at verses 17 through 21. Paul said, the flesh desires what's contrary to the spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with each other. You need to underline those words, conflict with each other. Or write them down on your sermon notes or circle them or highlight them. They're in conflict with each other so that you're not to do whatever you want. So you say, Christian, I tried to, you know, I tried to attach my leg to Jesus and go where he went. But every now and then, I, you know, I feel like I should do something different. That's the conflict of trying to walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me tell you where the Apostle Paul is going by this. Uh, in 1 John 2.16, we're introduced to the flesh. Because in Galatians 5, we hear it, the flesh is spirit, the flesh is spirit, the flesh is spirit. And in 1 John 2.16, we're told how the flesh works. The flesh is the side of us that doesn't want to live for God, the part of us that, that is in rebellion to God. Uh, and in 1 John 2.16, John said, the flesh works through the lust of the eyes, through the lust of the flesh, through the pride of life. But I want to break that down for you in even a smaller piece. Um, the flesh wants to look good, feel good, and have good. Now, that doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean, and, it, and it's easier to say that way. It wants to look good. It wants to feel good. It wants to have good. It, it just, the flesh, in other words, is all about me. The flesh is about me and what I want. In the flesh part of us, when something happens... And Jesus says, listen, we're going to step this way and turn the other cheek. The flesh says, no, I am not. I'm stepping this way. And then you fall down spiritually. The, the, the spirit says, I'm going to take the first percent of this income. Um, and we're going to give it to God as, a, as an offering of gratitude and obedience. Uh, the spirit says that. And the flesh says, no, I'm, I'm going to give when I have time. And we fall down spiritually, financially. Um, the spirit says, I'm going to forgive my husband or my wife. And I'm going to be patient with them. And the flesh says, no, I'm going to hold a grudge and we fall down. See, the flesh is all about me. The spirit is always spirit interested. The flesh is always self interested. It's all about me. And usually we, we, we read Galatians 5.17 and we say this, man, that flesh is bad. Thank God. Thank God I don't do any of those things. But I want you to look at the list again. Because we lose ourselves, forgive the language, but it's scripture. We lose ourselves in the debauchery and the orgies. Um, and we miss, we miss a lot of what's going on with us. Look at Galatians 5, verse uh, 19 through 21 again. Because a lot of us just glossed over this last time. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, we're like, yeah. Um, impurity, debauchery, like, no, you know, no one is, I'm not debauched. I don't even know if that's a word. But, uh, you know, debauchery sounds bad. It's like, you know. I, no one should do that, whatever it is. Um, idolatry and witchcraft. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have an idol and I, you know, I can't fly on a broom. You know, it's like we, we kind of phase those out. It's like, you know, that flesh is bad, but that's not me. But we miss the largest string of the flesh 
that comes in interpersonal relationships. Look at, else, look at what else the, the flesh is. Hatred, discord. That's when people don't get along with people. Jealousy. I just, I really want what they have. I thought that position was supposed to be my position. I thought that raise or that career move was supposed to be mine. Uh, fits of rage. Just get angry real quick. Selfish ambition. Always thinking about what's next for me. Dissensions. That is, you know, I not only am having discord, but I'm, I'm leading other, you know, I'm basically building factions. I'm, these people are on my side and these people are on her side and I see everything as kind of me against them or us against them. Um, factions, which we talked about, and envy. Man, his, his car, his house, they eat out, I don't eat out. You know, I don't have the money to wear that kind of clothes, this, that, these nicer shoes than I do. You see, we read that, and I'll be honest with you, like idolatry, witchcraft, debauchery, we don't do much of that, hopefully. Um, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, probably not a lot of church-going folks there often, uh, hopefully. Um, but, uh, but boy, the, the center of it that we, that we ignore, we spend a lot of life there. And we have a lot of moments there. And we send a lot of emails and text messages there. And we make some Facebook posts there. And we cry at night there. And we're angry at people there. And here's what you need to realize. The flesh is self-interested. It's all about me. Let me tell you how you can know you're struggling with the flesh. I, I learned about two years ago that one of the greatest tools of Satan in the life of a believer is this tool of offense. When you are offended at something someone has done to you, that's the flesh. Because Scripture says a wise man overlooks an offense. Get over it. The Spirit says, we're going to step this way and get over it. Jesus said, if someone slaps you on your right cheek, what did he say? Like duck and give him a hard right? What, what did he say? If someone slaps you on the right cheek, what did he say? Yeah. See, the flesh says, if someone slaps me, I'm going to slap him back. Jesus said, no, we're going we're to step this way. Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile and you think it's unfair, here's where the Spirit steps. Go two. You see, every time you're offended, you're living in the flesh. God spoke that to me. And Danielle and I have had some instances this week where I have had to wrestle with offense. And, and I've had to pin it spiritually because I realize I'm wrong. Every time I'm offended, I realize I'm wrong spiritually. But I'm conflicted. It's hard, right? Like, it's hard. There are not very many people. I, I had an old Sunday school teacher tell me one time, what does the Bible say? If someone slaps you in the right cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek. He said, what if they hit you twice? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. So if you can take two, then you are free to go. And like, I really believe that was his thought. Like, like Jesus was teaching, if you can take two punches and you're good to go. And, you, you know, it's just turn the other cheek once. I said, you know, I'm not sure that's what that, that's what that means. But we're conflicted people. Right? So it's hard. So Paul said, I want you to understand this is hard. And Paul said, the only way you're going to be able to tie your leg to the Spirit and follow it is Galatians 2.20. I want you to flip back two verses, uh, two, two pages, and I want you to underline Galatians 2.20 in your Bible. You say, Christian, how could I ever get to that point where it's not about me? How do I ever get to the point where it's not about me? Look at what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, Paul went dead-legged. Paul went dead-legged and just said, my, I have, I've given my life to Jesus. And I just, whatever he says now, I'll do. The only way for him to live consistently, walk consistently in the Spirit was just say, listen, I've got to die to myself because self-interest is bad. I want to be spirit interested and I want to follow God. We don't want it to be all about me. So Paul says, listen, it's commanded. You don't have a choice. It's conflicted. It's going to be hard. But number three, he said, you're capable. You're capable of doing this. And here's why I know we're capable. Because in Galatians 6.1, after he gives this command, here's what Paul says in Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone, who is, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, underline that, so Paul said, there are some people in, in these churches in Galatia that are living by the Spirit. And if one can do it, all can do it. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit. So Paul said, you're capable. You're capable of living by the Spirit. Now, the core of the book of Galatians, from start to finish, the core of the book of Galatians is this. 
the Apostle Paul wanted the Galatian churches to move from a list of rules, give your life to Jesus and then go to church, to a loving relationship that led to a transformed life. Paul said, this is about all day. This is about every decision. Christianity is not give your heart to Jesus, go to church. Give your heart to Jesus, follow these 10 rules. Christianity is give your heart to Jesus and then every day work to have a relationship with Jesus that leads to a transformed life. Now here's what I have begun to realize about a transformed life. Transformational relationships run more on habits than rules. Because when, when we think we have rules, and this Galatian church, remember, had, had all these rules creeping in. Um, rules don't lead to relationships. And, and let me give you an example. If you had a rule that every day your husband had to call you at least once a day at work and tell you he loved you, if that was a rule, not a habit, how in love do you think you'd feel? And the day he missed, you came back and said, you broke the rule. You were supposed to call at 1210 and you didn't call. Now, if it became a habit that every day at work your husband texted you and said, hey, I just want you to know I love you, or, or one evening a week your wife kind of had the kids put to bed and the house cleaned up and just kind of a date night on the couch for you to watch TV, or your kids started being a bit... Do you see how rules don't lead to relationships while habits build strong relationships? Let me tell you what a habit is. Um, a habit, according to Webster's Dictionary, a habit is a settled tendency or usual manner of behavior. It's a behavior pattern that's acquired by frequent repetition or physiological exposure that shows itself in regularity or increased facility or performance. A habit is an acquired mode of behavior that's become nearly or completely involuntary. So habits are what we, what, it's just the way we begin to live our life that we always live our life. The Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians is trying to teach us how to develop habits that will keep us close to Jesus. He's not giving us a set of rules. He's not saying you need to follow these rules to be close to Jesus. But he is saying, if you want to walk by the Spirit and you develop these habits, if these things become second nature to you, if you find you're doing these things as a regular course of action, he said you're much more easily going to be able to walk in the Spirit and stay close to the Spirit. Now, one of the greatest books that's ever been written in the business world um, is, is this book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Some of you have read this. Um, and Covey in this book, this has sold 40 million copies globally. Time Magazine listed this as one of the 10 best business books that's ever been written in the history of literature. And it's all about not only how to develop habits, but how developing habits will change your life and will change your leadership. And here's how Covey defines a habit. And I want to show you this because I couldn't figure out really how to draw it on your sermon notes. But I want you to draw this because I want you to know today you are in control of your habits. Covey said that a habit occurs when knowledge and skill and desire come together. And I want to show you what I mean. I want you to draw this somewhere where you can have it. He said habits occur... When knowledge and skill and desire come together. He said, where these overlap, which would be in this little area right here, he said, a habit is formed that never breaks. Now, whether you're going on a diet, whether you started lifting weights, whether you want to further your education, whether you want to start reading your Bible, whether you want to start growing spiritually. Covey says, in one of the best-selling business books that's ever been written in the history of the world, this is how a habit is developed. When knowledge and skill and desire come together. Here, here's what this means. Most people say, well, I'd love to walk close to God, but I, um, like, no one ever told me that I had to do that. So you now have knowledge that you need to walk with God every day, not just go to church. You say, okay, well, I don't really know how to do that. So you have to teach me. Give me some skill to do that. So knowledge and skill come together, but usually this is the kicker right here. Desire. Most of us know what a healthy weight is for ourselves, and we even know how to lose weight. We just don't want to. Most of us know some really good habits we should start, and we even know how to start them. We just don't really want to. And many people who have grown up in church all their life they know that church, they know that Christianity is more than church. They even 
know a few ways that they can walk with God, but the desire is just not real strong. They're like the church in Galatia. I want to give my life to Jesus and then go to church. Can't that be enough? And Paul says, no. Now, it's not easy. No, it's not enough. Yes, it's conflicted. But yes, you're capable. He said, you just have to develop a habit in here that will change your life. Habits that will bring transformational relationships. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.16 on your sermon notes. Here's what Paul said about walking and living spiritually. Paul says, I don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Paul says, listen, I'm getting old. I'm getting gray hair. You know, I need to sleep a little more and pee a little more. You know, I mean, you know, he's like, I'm getting old a little bit. Um, Outwardly, I'm wasting away. He said, inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. How? How, Paul? How are you renewed day by day spiritually, Paul? Because Paul said, I've developed habits in my life that keep me really close to Jesus. Now, if you've ever gone to a youth ministry camp, if you've ever gone to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp, if you've ever worked to vacation Bible school or you've gone to a marriage conference, it's crazy how close to God you feel in certain environments. You say, why is it that you feel so close to God at a camp but not in your daily life? Because you have built-in habits there for you. You're worshiping God. You're hanging out with Christians. You're living in relationship with Christians. You, like they make you get up and read your Bible. You actually focus on things that are important. They're forcing you for that day or that evening or that week. They're forcing you to live within a set of habits that keeps you very close to God. And then you go home and normally we get out of those habits and we feel distant from God because we are. So how do we keep habits? How, how do we, and what I call it is a mindset shift. How, how do we have a mindset shift that we need, if we're going to live for God, we have to stay close to God? And here's the mindset shift that I want to share for you. Because I used to think that to stay close to God, I had to do a lot of things for God. And if I did enough for God, that I'd be close to God and that things would be good. I used to read my Bible for God. I used to serve for God. I used to kind of live my life, think I'm doing this for God. But then I realized as I began to studying Scripture, walking in the Spirit is much more living from God than living for God. Walking in the Spirit is basically saying, on my own, I don't, I, don't have any, I don't have any power. But if I can find out where God's power flows and I can connect to it, I can't live for God, but I can live from God. I can be filled up daily. Now, I have up here um, a bag of, of random chargers. And after this service, our team who's going to Israel in November will meet. And I didn't see this on the agenda, but this will be one of the things we have to talk about eventually Because the things that we plug in in America, um, a lot of times don't plug in in Europe. And you need a different plug for the airport than you do for the hotel. We might need a different plug in in Tiberias, which is on the Sea of Galilee, than we do Haifa, which is up by the Lebanese border. So I've got this big old massive plug right here that fits like every type of plug that there is. This will fit so I can plug my computer and my cell phone in. Because if I just try to plug them in like I plug them in in America, it doesn't work or they just fry. So I've got one of these things. And then I've got this kit that, you know, some, some walls have like kind of weird shaped prongs like that. And some are just two. And in India, they have these massive things that you have to plug into where, where you can't get any power. Um, and then I've got different little gadgets that plug into my laptop differently. Because here's the deal. When you go overseas... Like, you know your battery's going to die. Your phone battery's going to die. Your computer battery's going to die. When you're going for 10 days, all your stuff's going to die. And you don't know exactly where you're going to be able to find power or how you're going to tap into that power. What we have learned through this series is that spiritually your battery drains, right? Ephesians 5.18, we leak spiritually. And if we don't learn how in life to find things to plug into, And sometimes church isn't enough. If we don't figure out how to carry a bunch of different chargers with us so that we have all kinds of different ways to plug into God to get recharged spiritually, we're going to be really empty spiritually. Now, you could look at what I'm getting ready to give you, this spiritual shape chargers, these habitually developed areas in your life. You could look at these like a task list. And you could say, well, you're Christian. You're not doing anything that Paul, you know, Paul said Christianity is not a list of rules. I'm not giving you a list of rules. You don't have to do these to be a Christian. But you have to do something like this if you want to stay close to God. Because this is the only way to plug in when our battery's draining. These are the only ways to really plug in to God. 
So as I give you this mindset shift and as I talk you through some of these things today, I want you to think that I'm giving you more toolkit than a task list. I'm not saying every Christian every day for the rest of their life has to do these things. And if you do these things, you'll be spiritual. But I'm saying if you want to stay close to God, God has given us some tools that these chargers work in our life in certain ways. And if we will plug these in spiritually, it's going to recharge our battery spiritually. So what are, what are these things in our life that are great spiritual tools to keep our battery charged spiritually? Um, let me give you seven. First and foremost, every Christian, in my, in my opinion, every Christian needs a great study Bible that they have at home so they can read and learn about God. And I've put that on your notes. Now, I always have. When I say this, someone asks me, which one do you recommend? I've read a bunch of them. I bet I've read a dozen different study Bibles and different translations. Um, my favorite is the New Living Translation Study Bible. It's what I recommend. If you're going to go buy a Bible today or this week, buy this one right here. The New Living Translation Study Bible. This is the Bible that I read. I always put dates in. I began reading it December 27th of 2011. I finished it November 4th of 2012. Um, and it's phenomenal. I underlined every word in this Bible as I read it and made notes. It, it was amazing. This is one good way when your battery is draining to plug into God. This plug fits every room of your house. This plug fits every issue your life faces. This plug fits the good times and the bad times. This plug fits to charge you spiritually. Now, you might like having an, an, a dead cell phone all the time, but I don't. I want mine to stay charged. A good study Bible will help you say, what's the difference between a study Bible and a regular Bible? A study Bible has notes to explain the words um, every now and then. Uh, a study Bible has, you can see most of the page here is notes, not Bible. It has great chapter introductions. So this study Bible, all the stuff I just told you about the Apostle Paul and Galatians, like I got that from a study Bible. I opened up to Galatians and it says, Galatians was written to four churches that were started in the book of actually, wow, how'd you know that? I read it in a study Bible. I'm not a genius. I just read. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the way it works. How'd you know it was called the Magna Carta? The Bible, the study Bible told me. So this gives me great, great study notes on, you know, here's Ezekiel. Here's when Ezekiel's written, who it was written to, how it worked. So a great study Bible. This fits every plug in your life spiritually to help you grow. Um, Secondly, you need a great Bible reading plan. And the best place to find those are online, in my opinion. Uh, what used to be uversion.com is now just bible.com, www.bible.com. If you go online to bible.com and just say, I want a Bible reading plan, I got a new Bible, and I just want to know where to read, one way to really have ineffective Bible study is just to open it up and guess because you can read some really weird stuff from time to time if you're, like, if you're not in context on the narrative. Like you don't want to read Isaiah 47 one day and then flip over and read Matthew 1 one day and then flip over and read James 3 the next day. It just won't make any sense to you. But Bible reading plans will help you understand how things were written, when they were written, in a manner that will change your life. So get a Bible reading plan. I like to call them. I prefer to call them Bible reading guides because Bible reading plans usually have a, like a time stamp on them. And if you miss a day or two and you get real behind, you just get flustered and quit. You know, I'm not, never going to catch up, so you just quit. So get a Bible reading guide. And even if it takes you the rest of your life to finish a plan, just read in context as you go. I think a third valuable tool um, is a journal. And I have found, and it, it's funny because a lot of Scripture that we have, especially Old Testament Scripture, are journals. The book of Psalms is a journal. The book of Ecclesiastes is a journal entry. The book of Proverbs are journal entries from Solomon and David and what they learned. And, and Moses kept a journal. Um, this is just a simple little one that, that I bought uh, to show you today. Um, I think I got this at Office Max for like $10. It's just a book to, to record some key things in your daily life. Now, let me tell you what I write down in my journal. I never start it with Dear Diary. I don't write paragraphs. I don't write stories. Here's what I try to write in my journal every day. I try to write key verses or... Um, what I would call key concepts as I read over them. So if I read something on forgiveness and I'm like, man, that's really good. I'll just make a note, forgiveness, you know, forgive as many times as somebody hurt you. Um, if I read something on money, I have an entire page in my journal called generosity. And anytime I read a verse on money, I'll go and record that verse on that page because I know 
one day I want to learn that and then teach it to someone else. So I write down key verses and concepts. Another great place to write down key verses and concepts is on your Facebook and Twitter account if you have those. That's kind of an online journal. I love to see people who once a day will go on and post a verse. Russell Wilson, who's the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, tweets every day what he calls BVD, Bible verse of the day. I love to read his Bible verse of the day just to know someone's reading the Bible. I think it's a great testimony to people. Um, I write real-time needs in my journal. You say, what do you mean by that? All right in the morning, huge meeting today. Um, Need God's blessing on it. Facing some real controversy today. Got some real bad news on this. Just just one line, just to remind me what's going on that day. I'll write real-time blessings. Um, man, got a real unexpected gift or blessing today. Man, great day in church today. I'll record the blessings that are going on. And then any memorable moments that I have. Like, I love snow. So like when we got the blizzard last year, I wrote in my journal, like 15 inches of snow today, stuck in the house, awesome. You know, I mean, I just kind of write, here's, here's the day in my life. But I believe journaling just allows this, the truth of Scripture to sink just a little more in depth with us. Um, I, I've tried to in the past. I don't do this as much now, but I always recommend it. I think a great tool that plugs spiritually into our life are three-by-five index cards. This is actually um, Danielle's box because we both used to keep one together. Uh, and I love, to, uh, I love to tease my wife in church because that's kind of how I flirt with her is by teasing her. Um, but she is, honest to God, one of the most spiritual people that I know. Um, I watch her walk with Jesus carefully, and, and she loves God like I wish everyone in our church loved God. And this, these, are her, these are her memory cards um, that she writes. So you read across a good verse, you take it from your journal, you have a stack of three by five cards somewhere, you write one verse on it, Mark 8, 34, 36, take it with you. I usually try to set it on the dash of my car or put it on my desk where I can see it. And it's just something I can look at one or two times that day, not so I can try to memorize it, but so that I can try to meditate on it. Um, Colossians three sixteen says, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. That means think about it all the time. Joshua 1, 8 says, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate it, day, meditate on it day and night. So think about it. So one of the greatest tools that I have ever found to keep my spiritual battery charged are 3x5 cards, 3x5 index cards, um, in, a, in a little box of 3x5 index cards that, uh, that you can keep. Another good way for those who are always on the run and maybe you don't know how to really read the Bible and get a lot out of it are, number five, devotional guides. Um, and devotional guides are kind of like 60-second superchargers. Like if you had something that could just zap your phone to full battery, that's what devotional guides are meant to do. Um, there are a lot of great ones out there. Two of my favorites. Uh, one is real brand new to the world. It's called Jesus Calling. Um, and it literally is. It's just a thought of the day type of process. Like Jesus Calling. These are two different days. I'll read you today's. What's the date? September 15th? Here's a devotional thought for September 15th. These are from Jesus, by the way. So these are thoughts in Scripture from Jesus that Jesus would say to you if he was hanging out in your life. Rest in me, my child. This time devoted to me is meant to be peaceful, not stressful. You don't have to perform in order to receive my love. I have boundless, unconditional love for you. How it grieves me to see my children working for love, trying harder and harder, yet never feeling good enough to be loved. Be careful that your devotion to me doesn't become another form of works. I want you to come into my presence joyfully and confidently. You have nothing to fear. You wear my own righteousness. Gaze into my eyes and you'll see no condemnation, only love and delight in the one I see. Be blessed as my face radiantly shines upon you, giving you peace. That took 30 seconds. And you can read this every day before you leave your house. You you can read, you can sit it in your car and when you pull into your stall at work, take 30 seconds. Just a thought to plug into God. Um, Another one of my favorites is Morning and Evening, Charles Spurgeon. These will be a little too long to read, but for those of you who are like scripture junkies, Really, really good devotionals. Just one page in the morning, one page in the evening to keep you connected spiritually. Another good one is my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers, kind of a classic. These are 60-second times that you can put in during your day that just, they just help you plug in. They're just great tools spiritually. Number six would be a prayer list. Um, I try to keep this in my journal, just the top 10 or 12 things that I'm praying for. You can imagine now my cousin with her cancer is on there. Some other things, there are things in our church that I'm dealing with that are, that are on there. These are just things that I put down on paper just to let God know how serious I am about them. And then I think one of the best ways to really charge your battery spiritually, number seven, is to pray with your spouse. And I don't mean you have to get on your knees and each of you pray and say a big long prayer, but Danielle and I just in the last two weeks have increased this more where just every night before we go to bed, we just try to grab hands and for 30 seconds just say, Lord, thank you, bless us, 
uh, be with our kids, help us. There's just something that builds intimacy in marriage when you will pray with your spouse for those of you who are married. Um, so those are like, listen, these, these seven, they're just, they're just things you plug in spiritually so that you can live from God, not necessarily for God, but from God. Get your battery filled up and then go live spiritually the way you meant, you're, you're meant to live. So there's a toolkit and then there's a tool shop. And the tool shop is this, um, prioritize church attendance, um, prioritize small group attendance. These are things according to scripture. Paul actually, or the, the author of Hebrews actually chastised the Christians in the book of Hebrews because they said, you've quit going to church and you've quit growing spiritually because of that. So church attendance is a big deal. Being in small groups is a big deal. Um, these are tools, nine things, church, small groups, E7. These are things that when you're feeling low spiritually, if you'll plug them in, I promise you they'll recharge you spiritually. Now, something interesting happened to me two weeks ago that really kind of hit me spiritually this week. Um, my sprinkler system broke in our yard. Uh, we moved into a foreclosure in December of 2010, and it was kind of like buy it as is. So we didn't have an inspection, so every now and then things in our house will break down, and our sprinkler system broke. Uh, and at first, it was kind of a blessing, to be honest with you, because my yard grows so fast that like every three or four days I was having to mow my yard because the grass grew so fast that it got to be annoying because I just I always was thinking about mowing my yard and the sprinkler system died and the grass quit growing. And I thought, you know, this isn't bad. It's a lot less maintenance, to be honest with you. Um, but after, after five days, seven days, ten days, and it was 100 degrees outside, like my, breast, my grass started getting brown and kind of crunchy and it started dying and I thought, this isn't good. Because, and you know, maybe your yard is one of these, like you drive through a neighborhood and it's like green, green, brown, green, green, brown. Like I was one of the, the brown ones. Um, it's like, it's very easy to tell which grass is healthy and which grass is dead. Here's the thing, it's, it's kind of the same way in church. It's really easy to look at Christians and tell which ones are growing and which ones are dry. I mean, once, once you kind of know what you're looking for, it's really easy to see green, green, brown, green, brown, green, dirt. You know, I mean, it, it's easy to see that process. And I thought, oh, no, my grass is dead. So I called a friend who does sprinkler systems and landscaping stuff. Um, actually, Daniel called him in all honesty. I was going to. I kept forgetting. So finally, Daniel called him. Um, and we said, you got to come over. So he dug up a bunch of places in her yard and looked and found where it was broken and fixed it. Um, and I said, is my grass dead? Like, will it come back? And he said, within a week. It'll be green again, don't worry. Um, it's not dead yet. I say that to say this. There are some of you in here that are very dry spiritually. You're kind of crunchy and brown. And people driving by are like, ooh, they, you know, they're not taking much care. And here's the deal. For the first little while of that slide spiritually, it was nice because you didn't have as much spiritual maintenance. You, weren't, you didn't always have to go to church and read your Bible. And it was like, you know, this... This actually is letting me live a little bit, not having to do all this spiritual maintenance. But eventually your soul kind of withered. And the good news is that if, if, you will plug, if you will plug in again, like that grass starts growing real quick again. And your soul will start growing real quick. And, and your soul will kind of green up real quick. And your soul will get healthy real quick. Because the energy sources that God has given us, like if we plug this in, the battery outlet is never dead. Like the wall socket spiritually always works if we plug in scripture, if we'll plug in some meditation, if we'll plug in maybe journaling a little bit, if we'll plug in some devotional guides, if we'll try to add desire to knowledge and skill. I really want to develop spiritual habits. I believe our lives, your lives, could be radically changed forever. But Paul said you have to walk in the spirit. Christianity is not becoming a Christian and going to church. It's becoming a Christian and in that sanctification process, trying to live every day of your life to grow closer to God and be more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we're really grateful for the challenge of Galatians 5, 16, 17, and 18. And God, we're, uh, we're really grateful for um, just how honest Paul was. Like, it's commanded, but it's conflicted. It's going to be hard. But you can do it. You're capable. And God, I thank you for how scripture so clearly tells us how to plug into your power so our battery doesn't drain. And God, this, this isn't a task list. Like you, you have to do this or you won't love Jesus. 
It's kind of a you should do this or you're not going to feel close to Jesus. And God, I pray for everyone in this room who has a desire to see salvation move to sanctification, to not just one day want to be with you in heaven, but want to be with you here and to grow every day. And God, I pray that whether it's by the circles that I've drawn on this whiteboard, God, or whether it's by some of the things that have been pointed out to us in Scripture or maybe by some of these tools in this toolkit we've shown, I pray that you'll help us to learn how to plug in to you. So God, the, uh, the spiritual battery in us that drains every moment of every day might continue to stay filled. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across this room. No one is moving. I'm going to ask that you not just look around for a minute. But I'm just going to ask you where you're sitting, just in your private moments before God. As you saw these tools up here today, seven tools, would you maybe in your heart right now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to ask you to stand up. I want to ask you to come forward. But could you maybe in your heart right now, um, like commit to try to make one or two or three of these things a habit? You know how important it is. You've now seen some skill you need to develop. Would you pray that God would give you desire to start reading your Bible, to start carrying some index cards, to maybe go out and buy a devotional or maybe start writing in a journal? to get a prayer list, maybe to start praying with your spouse. Would you, you, probably no one can leave and do all seven, but would you pray right now the one or two things that stood out to you the most that you're not doing? Maybe in your past you did do them and you felt really close to God, but now you got out of maintenance and it was nice for a while, but now your soul's kind of brown and it's getting kind of crispy. You wonder if it'll grow back. It'll grow back, but you got to start adding water to it spiritually. Would you just kind of commit to God right now? God, these... This one thing, these two or three things I'm going to try to do. Forgive me for not plugging in more often and letting my battery run down. God, I thank you for our time together. I thank you for the sound of these kids screaming behind me. Lord, I don't know that there's a better sound for a pastor in a church than the sound of threes, fours, five-year-olds having fun in church yelling about Jesus or a worship song or some Bible story that they've learned God help us as adults to feel that joy in our heart to be excited about Jesus again help us today to never forget we've got to plug into Jesus so our battery doesn't die and help us to learn to walk in the spirit to be led by the spirit to wrap our legs to Jesus in this three-legged race and to let him lead to let him go first like Paul said, to just to be done with our life and to start living the one Jesus wants us to live. Help us as a church and as a collection of individuals to do that. We love you. We need your help in doing this. So we ask that you'll lay it heavy on our heart and uh, keep it there, Lord, until we begin these habits that will change our lives. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen.